You're listening to The Health Classes You Missed. My name is Monica and I'm a secondary school health teacher with a passion for all things health. Whether you're currently at school or you finished 20 years ago, this podcast will help you understand those topics that may have been skimmed over, considered inappropriate or flat out ignored. So sit up straight, faces forward, let's get into it. Welcome back to another guest episode. Uh, this one is really, really good today. I've got the wonderful Isabella from Let's Talk Period. Isabella is the host and creator of the Let's Talk Period podcast and offers mentoring and support for those who experience chronic illness. Isabella also created an amazing and informative Instagram page where she shares all sorts of information about health conditions, including endometriosis and PCOS. I have Izzy on today to talk all about endo, and that is because March is Endometriosis Awareness Month. We discuss what endometriosis is, the signs, symptoms, and diagnosis, how to treat and deal with endo, and what inspired Izzy to create Let's Talk Period in the first place. So welcome, Izzy. Thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me today. I am so, so excited to be here. Thank you for having me on the pod. No worries. I just think what you're doing is absolutely fantastic. And I guess my first, first question, and I'm sure everyone else's first question is, what is endometriosis? Yeah. And like, it's a bit of a mouthful in itself. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And before I was diagnosed, I didn't really have any idea what endometriosis was. And like, it wasn't very commonly spoken about like 10 years ago when I was like going through high school and all that good stuff. So yeah, it's like, if you haven't heard it or had personal experience with it, it's not a word that you'll really come across typically. Thankfully, there's some more awareness. So endo or endometriosis is where tissue that is similar to the lining of your uterus, so the endometrium, is implanting or growing in other parts of the body. So they used to just think that it was the same tissue. So they did think it was the endometrium displaced and placed in other parts of the body. But um, thankfully, due to more research, it's been determined that they're not actually the same tissue type. So they're just similar. So endo is, um, it relies on estrogen. So they have similar properties, but they're not the same. And I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions. Um, And then also, uh, there's also endo and it was query around whether it was just a pelvic or uterus condition because people thought endo could only grow around the ovaries or the uterus or in that pelvic area but it's also been found in other parts of the body as well so it's not just a reproductive organ condition so um, that's sort of the gist of what endo is Um, but yeah it can affect anybody there's been really rare cases of cis males having endo Um, so it's not just people who identify as female that have endo so yeah I had no idea that that males could get endo as well yeah it's like incredibly rare and there's only been like a few cases reported but 
I think that's even more important in when it comes to like using inclusive language when talking about who endo affects because um, otherwise you can be excluding a whole group of people and I know like trans people and non-binary people can also feel quite excluded but yeah cis males have also found to have endo as well so otherwise that gendered language like women female or girl can be quite exclusive so yeah um, a fun little fact about endo in males (laughs) yeah there you go well I had absolutely no idea about that and that's really good to know because of course a lot of the time when you do hear about it it is just exclusive to to women and girls and when we learn about which I'm quite um passionate about this as well about everyone learning about periods and period health and you know all that menstruation stuff all of these I guess quote-unquote women's health issues because it is important at the end of the day for every single person to understand, no matter whether you're a boy or girl, whether you identify as, you know, whatever. I mean, yeah, like as you said, now we've found that people who identify as male can get endo and that that is crazy to me. That I just, yeah, because I guess my knowledge of it and how I was taught growing up, that was exclusively an issue that, that women and girls had and that is not the case. So that is super interesting. Yeah. When you said, I guess that it's, um, it can affect anyone. Um, are there any kind of predisposition to getting endometriosis? Can it be genetic or anything like that? Yeah. So unfortunately there's like a lot of gaps in the research and so much more needs to be done. I think that comes into play with any health condition. However, Um, from the research that's been done at the University of Queensland by Grant Montgomery and his team, he's been looking into like genomic sequencing and the genome behind endometriosis. And so they found that there's like a 70% link. So genetics wise, so it can be genetic, but just because your um, mum or grandma or auntie have endo doesn't necessarily mean that you are definitely going to have endo and vice versa. Um, Nobody else in your family might have endo and you might have endo. So it's kind of like they're still trying to find out, but they know that genetics definitely does play a key role in that. And then there's also like environmental factors, which they're looking into as well. So the role of like um, xenoestrogens, they're called like so fake estrogens as well. So there's just a lot more research that needs to be done, unfortunately. Yeah, and that's the thing, isn't it? Like a lot of these issues, you know, these health issues in particular, they haven't been talked about for very long, really, in the scope of things. So we are kind of on the cusp of of coming, I guess, as taking them seriously for one. And then I guess, yeah, putting the money into the research and things like that as well. But I guess, you know, like you said, that, that our professor at the University of Queensland, he's obviously doing great things. So good that we're on the right track. Still a fair fair way to go, I think. But um, yeah, that's good. So if someone has endometriosis, what are kind of the signs and symptoms? What do you look for necessarily when you, um, maybe if someone's listening to this and thinking this might be a health condition that they have? Yeah, so... Um, I want to preface this by saying like not everybody will have the same symptoms as someone else and that can be a really difficult thing about endo. So 
some people can have no symptoms at all but be like riddled with endo and they don't really find that out until they go in for surgery like maybe they're trying to fall pregnant and can't and so they go in for surgery and they find out they have endo that way even though they had no signs or symptoms at all and then alternatively you can have hardly any endo and have a lot of signs and symptoms or you can have lots of endo and lots of signs and symptoms so that's the staging so stages one to four for endo doesn't actually correlate with the disease process and how much it can affect you so um staging can be helpful for like the extent of the disease but just because you have stage one endo versus stage four it doesn't actually really matter so that's just something to flag from the get-go but symptoms wise so typically one of like the key signs or symptoms even though it's not considered to be a reproductive health condition anymore and more of a whole body disease is that you would be experiencing a really painful period or a really heavy period to begin with. So if you're experiencing pain that's stopping you from going to school or stopping you from going to work or engaging in sport or any activities that you're doing on a regular basis, that's not normal. So that's something that needs to be looked into to begin with. And then also um, having a really heavy period as well. So if you're needing to change your period products more regularly, obviously if you're using a cup and things like that, they can go for a bit longer. But if you're needing to change pads like more, more regularly than every four hours or same with tampons, if you're needing to change menstrual cups more regularly than the 12 hours that's recommended, things like that, um, that's considered to be more of a heavy period so anything over 80 mils um, over the course of your period is to be is considered to be a heavy period and so those are sort of the two like earmarked signs and symptoms but you can also have so many others so you could be experiencing really chronic lower back pain you can also be experiencing painful bowel movements you could also be experiencing pain with urination um, you could also get ovulation pain as well. So that's just due to um, where your lesions might be and where it might be adhering when your ovaries are needing to swell to ovulate. Um, you can also experience pain with sex. And I think that's one that also is a bit of a red flag. And it's something that people don't like discussing as well because it can be quite taboo. But having pain with sex isn't normal and I think it can be widely accepted that that's just the way it is and that it is normal. But that's another one to sort of really earmark and say that's not normal either. So if you're experiencing any of those symptoms, definitely head to your GP and have a chat and say, look, it could be endo and go from there. Um, but yeah, you can also be experiencing nausea and like really bad fatigue as well. So that's just a few of the most sort of common symptoms. Wow. And that's a lot, isn't it? Yeah. And I think it's hard, like specifically with a lot of these issues, when we're talking in particular about, you know, things with your period or cramping or it, it can often be like a million different things, can't it? So it's so hard sometimes to pinpoint it to one thing. And with something like endo um, that isn't talked about, you know, obviously more now, but all that much, I'm sure there's some people that are still learning about it. I said before we started recording that I've got so much to learn about it still. Um, you're not going to pick that as the first 
kind of diagnosis are you? So um, really good, I guess, that we're opening up that conversation. But I just, yeah, those symptoms don't sound like fun at all. Um, when you talk about it growing in other parts of the body, um, where is that? And does it grow kind of when you talk about it, I guess the tissue growing in like in your organs, does it grow on the outside of your organs? Can you give me a bit more info about that? Yeah, sure. So endo has now been found on every organ in the body. So up wow. until last year. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Huge. So up until last year, it hadn't been found in the spleen as of yet or on the spleen. However, they've done a study last year and they had somebody who also had endo on the spleen. Um, so it can be generally it's on the outside of those organs. It doesn't necessarily penetrate into the organ itself, but depending on how intense the disease is and those lesions it can cause necrosis or death of those cells and it can actually cause organs to become necrotic and actually die so people can lose kidneys from endo and have liver damage and so I think people sweep it under the rug as just being a bad period or period pain but it can actually lead to so much more horrific things occurring so Yeah, but so you can have endo on your diaphragm and so that can really contribute to painful breathing when you could be on your period. Um, You can have endo on your lungs as well. So it's just really important to track what's going on for you, track those symptoms to try and get some links and some patterns forming as well because, yeah, can be found in every organ even your brain there's been endo found in the brain as well so just crazy really that is so crazy and that I guess is you talking about um like there is such kind of I guess a stigma around these kinds of diseases where you're saying you know I definitely didn't know that you know it can cause your kidneys and other organs to shut down and fail that is terrifying and it's terrifying that we haven't taken it seriously for so long isn't it so oh my gosh I just and on the brain as well yeah yeah so like some people they might have nosebleeds every time they get their period and they might not correlate that but yeah like that was one of the indications that someone um, went in and they found out that they had endo on their brain so yeah it's like yeah it's crazy that you can think of how much damage something that you know isn't really considered to be that that bad in quotation marks can actually actually be that is crazy and do you know any of the statistics around endo like even in Australia just on how common it is yeah so in Australia, there's a couple of studies. And so it's most commonly accepted that it's one in 10 people assigned female at birth who are living with endo. So it like equates to approximately like 800,000 people potentially. However, because of like delays to diagnosis and people not being aware, not enough education, not knowing they have endo, they suspect that it could actually be more like one in five. Wow. Um, so it could be a lot more common than what people think. And one in 10 is also quite common. Yeah. Um, and then there was a study done in 2019 and that was an Australian study which indicated that one in nine people assigned female at birth 
have endo, but that's to do with a specific age group. Um, so I think it was people in between 30s to 45. So um, people are starting to say one in nine people are affected by endo, but it's kind of a touch misleading because it's only been one study yeah. and it was a very specific population. So I think that's why it's important when you're looking at studies and data. And I know that's a bit boring, but um, having a critical thinking hat on and being like, well, what's this actually telling me? Is this reputable? Can this be confirmed by other studies? So it's most commonly accepted that it's one in 10 people for endo. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And that's, yeah, as you said, still very common and still much more common than I would have thought it would be. Yeah. So the same as asthma or diabetes. Wow. There you go. Well, when you put it like that, we think of asthma as this, you know, that's one of the most common things around, isn't it? So when people are diagnosed with endometriosis, how does this normally happen? And I've heard that um, it can be quite hard to diagnose. Is that true? Yes, it can be. And I think a lot of it comes down to the barriers that people face with actually trying to get somebody to listen to them to begin with. So there's a seven to 12 year diagnostic delay from when someone starts experiencing symptoms of endo to when they will receive a diagnosis. So that's really not good enough. And then if, yeah, if you look at people who are from an Asian or an African-American descent as well, they have an even more prolonged and it's more like 12 to 16 years of a delay. So that's sad in itself. I think it would be really interesting to have more data around Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in Australia because I think they would face a similar delay to diagnosis as well. Um, so that could be a very good research opportunity for That's somebody. If anyone's uh, listening. Yeah, anyone's oh. listening. <laughs> um, yeah, and so basically it's because firstly when you go to the GP and you might talk about I've got this really bad period, it's giving me a lot of grief, and they might just quickly suggest let's put you on the pill. Um, that'll help. And like the Classic. pill can, yeah, the pill can be used for management of conditions such as endo. However, you need to have that diagnosis first. You need to have the surgery and then it can be used as a tool and it might not work for everybody, but the pill can actually mask a lot of the symptoms. So you might think that you're fixed and then it's not until it stops working like five to 10 years later that you're in a whole world of trouble again, because the endo is just left there to do its thing for that time period. So yeah, that's one of the biggest ones or people just get brushed off altogether and say, look, periods are painful. You just need to, you know, get on with it. And so people can go and see two, three, four people before they finally get someone to listen. Um, And then so from there, you have to actually get the referral to see a specialist because um, you need to see an obstetrician or gynecologist to be diagnosed. So Getting that referral can be tricky if you don't have private health insurance. There's delays to appointments. So, And then if you do have private health insurance, um, that's also quite expensive. So cost can be a barrier as well, causing another delay. And then from there, like you actually have to make sure you're seeing somebody who actually knows what they're talking about. So um, not every gynecologist is an expert in endo. And so they might 
do a laparoscopy and they might not find anything and they might tell you you don't have endo and then you think you don't have endo but you're still experiencing all of those symptoms so that's another delay and then you've got to go see somebody else and so there's that diagnostic delay that way so it's a lot of barriers to getting diagnosed Um, the only way to be definitively diagnosed with endo currently is via a laparoscopy, which is a keyhole surgery in your abdomen. So they make um, between like three to five sort of little incisions on your tummy and they go through your belly button with like a camera and they have a bit of a look around and then they are meant to excise or cut out the endometriosis. So that's the gold standard of care when it comes to endo. However, a lot of surgeons, if they aren't experts in endo, they might burn it or something called ablation. And so that actually doesn't remove the endo, but it just sort of burns it. So the analogy is if you're like pulling out weeds, you want to dig the whole weed out, not just like rip it off the surface. So Um, excisions getting all of that out whereas ablation sort of just getting that top layer off so yeah yeah you need to have someone who knows what they're looking for so um, from there your um, endo that is excised is then sent off for testing and then it's confirmed with the pathology that yes it's endometriosis um, and then you can be diagnosed that way so There is also some ultrasound technology that's coming out currently that can assist with determining if you might have deep infiltrating endo. So it might be deeper in your organs, in your pelvic cavity. But yeah, currently there's like no blood tests, there's no ultrasound, there's no MRI scan or anything. You have to have surgery, which can be quite invasive and scary and expensive. Yeah, absolutely. That is it's quite intense to go through just for a diagnosis. And I mean, I say just, of course, that's probably fantastic for some people, but if you don't have the money, I mean, most people would know if they have had to go to the gynecologist, just how expensive that is. Even with Medicare, your rebate, you know, it still can be upwards of $200. It's yeah, it's, it's really expensive. And then, you know, if you do end up going to someone that unfortunately doesn't fully understand it, that again like you said another barrier and that yeah that is um it's quite hard isn't it because that doesn't mean that it's accessible to everyone and that's why we don't have uh i guess the proper statistics because we aren't able to get everyone's diagnosis because of those barriers but yeah that was my one of my questions is do you have to do the surgery to get properly diagnosed now because um that's what i had kind of learned in the past and that shocked me (laughs) still I mean still that that's the only option um that's crazy and then I guess that's why so many doctors would be like okay just go on the pill or you know the marina I've heard people go on the marina the IUD is that right as well yeah yeah so the IUD can be used as well but again it shouldn't be that first line before you know what's going on so It's really tricky getting palmed off left, right and centre and then giving pills and IUDs and things which can be used to help manage symptoms. But you need to really know if you're dealing with endo before you do that because otherwise, like you said, it's just like masking what's going on for you and you don't get any answers. And like 
I hate not knowing what's going on. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm one of those people, like I, I had really, really painful periods when I was young, never been diagnosed with anything, but um, went on the pill, of course. <laughs> a lot of my friends, <laughs> same thing. And I came off the pill probably a year ago and it, it was the same, you know, just went straight back into having these painful periods. It was exactly that, just masking the symptoms. And so I've had to go on this whole other you know, journey of trying to figure out what's going on there. So it actually isn't worth it in the end because I've just lost eight years of, you know, being able to actually get to the the root of the problem. And it yeah. becomes more of an issue, like you said, if it can affect fertility and things like that, as people are getting older, thinking about having children, you know, you don't think about that when you're 16, really, you're trying to avoid exactly. it at all costs. Yeah. <laughs> but once you get to the point where you're like, okay, maybe this is something I need to start thinking about, and you know you've just masked all these symptoms all these years and all of a sudden it all, all comes at you it can be um yeah quite confronting i can imagine for a lot of people and and yeah more just of the importance of getting to the root cause of the problem at the start which of course involves getting doctors and practitioners to understand it a bit more i know um i had katie from get papped i don't know if you've heard of yeah so she's got that yeah. directory i was just thinking in my head then when you were talking i was like <laughs> you guys need to like team up and get no she's been on the podcast we've met oh, with she has. friends yeah oh yeah. that's amazing i was gonna say because she's from brisbane as well isn't she yeah yeah yes yeah. oh here you go little shout, katie is to katie the best. shout yeah. out to katie i was like you need to put on some um let's talk period uh gynecologists that are um, specializing in endometriosis on that or something get something going there <laughs> such a good idea <laughs> um so i guess once you've been diagnosed what are the steps after that how do you i know we've talked about contraception as kind of some sort of treatment i've heard as well that pregnancy can cure in quotation marks uh cure endo is that what what is the go with that Oh, so that's like one of another one of the biggest misconceptions around pregnancy. And when I was diagnosed at 19, um, I was told to have a baby straight away and I was trying to study my teaching degree and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't do that. Um, so yeah, there's actually no cure for endo currently. We don't have one. Hopefully we will get one one day, but yeah, unfortunately at the moment it is just sort of managing it and treating it as best as we can. So, um, getting pregnant's not going to cure endo. Some people report that it can sort of give them symptom relief whilst pregnant, but other people experience their symptoms of endo throughout the whole pregnancy. So it's really individualized yet again. Um, another one is that hysterectomy will cure endo and that's not going to cure endo either because um, endo doesn't just involve the uterus. So if we remove the uterus, that's cool, but your endo lesions can still be in your body and they don't rely on your uterus being there to keep creating estrogen. They can create their own. So um, it's sort of debunked that they don't. So hysterectomy doesn't cure it. Pregnancy doesn't cure it. So it is really that treatment options that we need to look at. So firstly is that excision surgery. So making sure you have your endo cut out because that's going to give you the best quality of life. Um, ablation can lead to things like organ damage. It can lead to um, endo reoccurring more quickly can it lead to more scarring and things like that? So having it done properly and cut out can reduce all of those negative side effects significantly. 
And then from there, um, talking with your specialist about like what hormonal management you're wanting to do. So that might include an oral contraceptive, but it might not be used for birth control purposes, but more for the hormonal aspects. Um, IUDs are also commonly used um, depending on if fertility is something you're looking at. They also use the Zolodex injection, which can be quite controversial in the endo community because like the side effects of that can be quite horrific. And so it basically puts you into menopause when you're having it. It's kind of like a fake menopause. Um, and that's sort of to preserve fertility while you're trying to get ready to fall pregnant. So that's hotly contested. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, so there's a lot of hormonal, yeah, a lot of hormonal options there. But also it's really important to like be holistic and multidisciplinary. So that means not just having surgery and contraceptives options to help manage hormones that way, but also trying to manage the condition through working with a pelvic physiotherapist because if you've got that pelvic pain from having horrible cramping for, you know, years, just because you have that endo cut out doesn't mean those muscles are going to be like, oh, we're all good now. They're trained after years and years of we need to brace, there's pain. And so they're hyper aware and hypersensitive and they get very tight and very stressed. And so working with the pelvic physio can be great to release those, relax those and desensitize those nerve pathways as well. So that's one really great way to manage um, pain and especially pain with sex as well, if that's an issue too. Um, they can do internal work as well. So looking at the pelvic floor internally and trying to relax that because that can be a huge issue for people with endo. Furthermore, like we can also treat with eating a certain way. So this doesn't work for everybody again, but a lot of people also find relief eating anti-inflammatory foods. So endos and inflammatory conditions. So foods like basically kind of like a Mediterranean style diet. So lots of good fats, oily fish, um, leafy greens, and those complex carbohydrates can be really helpful and um, reduce the oxidative stress in the body. And so, yeah, there's like a few things you can do. So you're trying to not just have one up the top, but kind of like a circle of how you're treating endo. So that's just a few, but you can also do acupuncture. You can do osteopathy. Like you can, the list is endless and you sort of just need to find what works best for you and who you want in your team to help manage you. And that will change depending on what your goals are throughout different stages of your life as well. Yeah. Wow. There's, I mean, good that there are so many options. It would be nice if it was a bit more simple than that, but I guess I lots of uh, health issues require a few different avenues um, of assistance, but I mean, we're very lucky, I guess, in Australia to have access to a lot of those things. Again, money potentially being um, probably the biggest barrier in a lot of those cases. And especially, I just, I still can't get over that um, you have to have a surgery in order to get officially diagnosed. I just, I, I feel like <laughs> surely it's 2022, we've got to figure that out because that is just, that is too much. Some people wouldn't even be able to miss work to do that. Like that's... I just it's a lot no, that's a lot like, 
there's stuff like a study came out last year about the impacts on the economy and it's like over 600 billion or something that the Australian economy is affected by it's like an astronomical amount because it's like lost productivity and yeah it's yeah so something needs to be done I saw um a fact the other day about that we created the working week based on men or males back in the day um and that's just not the same way I guess when we're talking about people who get their periods kind of work or the way that uh the weeks work in terms of our cycles and things like that and I know I spoke about this with um someone when I did a period episode recently and that just blew my mind talking about when we I guess are more productive during certain times in cycle and that was just so interesting that you know we're just told oh no just you still have to go to work get over it when you could be in immense pain I used to vomit at school when I had period pain and I wasn't alone in that that wasn't uncommon and that is crazy I would miss out on my education because of my period and I don't have endometriosis so I can't imagine what it's you know if you're in that chronic pain all the time is it painful all the time it really depends so like my personal experience was that like at the start when I first started experiencing symptoms it wasn't the case I'd just have pain on my period and then I'd also get back pain the week before and I'd be like, oh, it's coming. Oh, this um, is just a PMS symptom. No yeah. big deal. Like, yeah. And then from there, like after probably would have been like after five years of living with those symptoms, I guess, it was sort of like the pain had just transitioned to being every day. So it just became chronic and it was just there all the time. So it can be quite debilitating and I think people really don't understand that um yeah yeah. and I think that's another misconception people can think like you're lazy or you're doing it for attention or it's all in your head and if you're like feeling like that um and you're listening like please know that that's not the case and you're not alone and you know you're just trying to get through a really hard time yeah yeah absolutely it's it is so hard I can't even imagine having to concentrate on anything being being in pain like that I can't imagine having to deal with something every day like you said of course it's very individual so people might um experience it totally differently but I guess you just talked about some of the lifestyle factors or quite a few of them so I'll probably skip past that question but you did talk about just then mentioning a little bit about your own experience and of course you started let's uh talk period two years ago you said almost two years ago to the day which is really exciting and that podcast and your instagram which are absolutely amazing and i will um you know plug that for you everyone go listen to that and learn something because you're doing really (laughs) well with that um but i just want to know i guess what inspired you to create let's talk period yeah well it kind of came from like a selfish place i guess um for lack of a better word i really wanted to listen to content that other people like I wanted to hear other people's endo stories I wanted to hear other people speaking about periods I wanted to hear about PCOS I wanted to hear about adenomyosis and there wasn't a podcast doing it and I really liked podcasts because um, you can listen to them anywhere while you're doing groceries while you're in the car while you're just doing stuff at home and so I was like right well like you know there's not one here if I don't do it 
someone else will do it and it might not be the way I envisioned it. So I was like, right, okay, let's let's do it. And then I actually started the Instagram account in November 2019, but I toyed back and forth with like, should I do it? Should I not do it? And if I was the right person to do it and sort of a bit of self-doubt in there, like, yeah. Um, and it was originally created under... Um, the umbrella of another organization so it's now fully independent and 100% my own which is very exciting but yeah it was a lot of back and forth and self-doubt around whether it should be me to do this and who would want to listen to me and a lot of things to get over but I'm so glad that you know I worked through that Um, and yeah I sort of wanted to give people a place to listen and find content that was reputable so the people that are interviewed are experts in their field or the people that are sharing like community stories like their personal endo story for example that's their story to them it's raw it's honest it's open and a place to sort of break down taboos break stigmas and just really have the space to share those stories and conversations and have them in an accessible way so you can listen to them and no one knows you're listening to them because, you know, they can't see your screen. You could have your earphones in. And so that was like a really big catalyst for it. And there wasn't anything like that out there when I was first diagnosed. I didn't even know what endo was. I was reading random blogs by different people. I was Googling treatments for endo I was told to eat pineapple to cure my endo like by a nutritionist once and so like trying to wade through all of the random information about different chronic health conditions I just thought like what if there's one place where there's reputable information that people can rely on with really raw open honest conversations and so that's sort of where it all stemmed from and then so the podcast launched in March 2020 and I thought that was the right time for it because it was endo awareness month and so launched launched for the first season then and then yeah it's two years old now and now in the fourth season and it's sort of evolved and transformed from now to then and yeah it's just so exciting and um, I had no idea how incredible the community could have been from when I started it and I think that's the coolest part of all of it like having so many people part of the let's talk period community and um, having events and meeting up with people and them just being so excited to connect with other people who get what they're going through and to not feel so alone yeah that's amazing i think it's just so fantastic what you're doing and i can't imagine how it feels for someone who maybe has been diagnosed or is looking into that and like you said having that space and having that information that is reputable that you can trust stories from other people that just make you feel like you aren't alone and that is so so underrated sometimes and a a really underrated part of social media as well I think um and I just think I'm I'm very glad that you got over that that self-doubt because it's it's absolutely awesome what you're doing and I it's clear how many people you're helping um even you know with your your 15k streams and your your followers (laughs) and everything like that like it's that's just yeah I just think we need more of it like you said, opening up that conversation, making sure that it's spoken about, 
Um, the more people that talk about it, the more people that are aware of it, you know, it starts from people like you who have been diagnosed to build up to the people who are doing the research for it. And it starts this big wave of we need to look into that. We need to know about it. Um, and, you know, you're just contributing to that every day. So that's just absolutely amazing. And I just, yeah, I think um, I think what you're doing is great. Oh, that's so nice. I'm going to have like the biggest head in the world. Oh, good. <laughs> we, go from, we go from when you started and that's what you deserve yeah. to have that. That's good. Um, and if you don't mind me asking, you know, you did touch on, again, your own experience. How are you going now? Yeah, it's like I am so, so much better Hi. than when I was first diagnosed. Like I just want to go back and give my past self a giant hug. Like, oh, I love that. He went through, <laughs> she went through the worst and yeah. like kept putting up with it. Like, I don't know how I did it, but I kept going to school. I kept going to uni. Even when I was in horrific pain, I felt like vomiting. I felt so nauseous and I would come home from lectures and just like collapse in bed and be in bed for the rest of the day. So from that to now, like I have got, pretty much no pain regularly like there'll be a couple of days a month where I've got pain and I can manage that with like over-the-counter like Panadol or Nurofen or Naprogesic sort of things like that and a heat pack and you know baths and things like that nothing like too crazy and yeah like I would have never been able to do that back then and so yeah I'm so thankful to have gone and seen the right surgeon finally have that surgery. And then I ended up having another laparoscopy last year in January. Um, and since that one, I've been, oh, it's been so good. I've just, yeah, I'm managing so much better. Um, but yeah, it's that holistic sort of management as well. So surgery is one part of it again, but like I've seen a pelvic physio when I was first diagnosed. I've I've seen an acupuncturist. I've gone to a naturopath. I've been to a nutritionist all throughout different phases. I've seen an exercise physiologist. Um, that was towards the end of last year, just to sort of help with strengthening my lower back because my abdominal muscles were very tight from bracing in pain all the time and my back and my glutes decided they could just sort of slack off yeah <laughs> and so that was contributing to back pain and so it's just like lots of little pieces of a puzzle that you're trying to fit together and um yeah but I'm managing so much better now and yeah the only thing that sort of gets me still is the fatigue here and there but yeah. trying to listen to my body more and yeah, I'm not very good at resting, but I'm getting better. Yes, I can imagine you're a very busy bee with your podcast and, you know, you work as a nurse, like you said, and all of that. So, um, but I'm so glad to hear that you're you're doing better. That's great. And it, I guess it just proves that, you know, as we said, everything's individual, but there is help out there. And, you know, it's not the end of the world if you get this diagnosis. There is ways around it and hopefully just more and more and more ways until we get a cure which is obviously what we want at the end of the day one last little thing I noticed on your website you've got mentoring and I wanted to ask about that because I think that's awesome what does that involve and how can people kind of contact you for that yeah so this is something new that I have started to offer 
again, I sort of toyed up with the idea of like, why me? But, you know, why not me? Absolutely. And it was something, yeah, and it was something that people had started to like ask about and there was a lot of feedback from the community that was like, look, I really would love to have somebody to guide me through this. So I'm basically here to be your chronic illness BFF. So the mentoring is six weeks of unlimited support. So there's six weekly Zoom chats where we sort of go through what's going on for you. We break it all down and we make a plan with like actionable steps of things that are relevant to you. So it's super personalized because endo, adeno, PCOS are all super personalized and very individual. Um, And so from there, um, there's also unlimited like voice notes and messaging chats and, you know, just me there to cheer you on because I've been where lots of you are. It's very overwhelming, confusing, and you can just be exhausted and have no clue where to go to or what to do. So it's sort of like trying to be that light at the end of the tunnel and help you wade through all of the info to find out what what's next and how you can start living a really good quality of life so you're not just dealing with you know trying to survive through every day but actually trying to like thrive and have an amazing life even if you are living with a chronic condition so that's sort of where that all stems from um but yeah so it's very limited at the moment just because I'm trying to fine-tune it all so if you are interested definitely there's info on the website which I'm sure you'll link and all of that um, or you can just send me a dm on instagram and we can chat more about it but yeah oh it sounds fantastic and again I'm so glad that you just decided to do it I love that energy of why not me I think that's a big 2022 thing I think that's yeah. awesome. but thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me today I really really appreciate it I think people are going to learn so much I know I learned so much from you about this and hopefully this can just as well help open up that conversation and get people talking about it maybe get people to go to the doctors and inquire about it if if they do feel like they're experiencing some of those symptoms and you know they've now heard about some of the treatment options and the things that you can do to help but yeah you're just of course helping people every single day and um yeah we need more of it so thank you thank you it's so lovely just want to quickly say as well, um, if you do have a chronic condition, you can go to the GP and they can get a chronic illness management plan and you can get five sessions subsidized. So that could be like allied health. So physio, it could be nutritionist, dietitian, exercise, physio, anything like that. I know five sessions isn't a lot, but it is something hopefully we can get a few more sessions and then also we've got the mental health plan as well so that can be up to 20 sessions and dealing with endo can be very isolating and so definitely you know that support's out there so really take those on so yeah that's all I wanted to add as well but yeah thank you so much for having me no worries I always say that on this podcast we've got a great healthcare system in Australia take advantage of it That is all for today's episode. I hope you learned something valuable today and you feel more informed about the topic of endometriosis. You can find Izzy on Instagram at Let's Talk Period or find her amazing podcast, again, Let's Talk Period, wherever you find your podcasts. 
All links to her Instagram, her podcast, and her website can be found in the show notes. Have a wonderful rest of the day. Stay safe, and I'll be back in your ears very soon. See you later.